0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we'll be talking about making the career change from journalism to comedy, and what the two fields have in common. Here's a hint, success in both relies on you having a true understanding of your audience. Our guest today is Sachandraka Chakrabarty, longtime journalist turned stand-up comedian, We discuss why she pivoted her career in 2020, and how 15 years in journalism provided many of the skills and attributes necessary to crack jokes on stage. Think thick skin, stage confidence and an ability to find emotional truths. Much of her material is inspired by her time as a reporter. Indeed, her upcoming show deals with the phenomenon of doom scrolling. Coming up are words of advice on transferable skills, dealing with hecklers and building online personas. That's all coming up. So don't go anywhere. welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have a chance to speak. I understand that a little known fact about you is that you had uh, an interesting encounter with the actress Emma Thompson. Please do tell us more.
1: <laughs> yeah so I um, I tweeted this in response to Robin Vinter the other day so and I didn't expand on it so way back in the early bit of my career I did a bit of film journalism a bit of like red carpet reporting and so on and this is at the London Film Festival I went to the premier for film she was in with Will Ferrell like, adaptation something like that the actual film title was gone and my friend was working for the PR company who like ran the after party so they got me in and so Emma Thompson was like she's amazing I have to go and speak to her and the, this is so long ago that you can still smoke inside so I offered her a cigarette because I used to smoke back then but she made me a roly, and I asked her because she did English literature at uni as did I and so I asked her for advice um, and I did say in that tweet I would never share it so I might stick to that I might keep the advice myself but she was really nice and are there are a lot of free drinks and sometimes you don't realize how much of someone's time you're taking up particularly when it's their premiere and their lead in the film, so she eventually ended up introducing me to her mother, also famous for de Law, her husband, also famous Greg Wise, and they were sitting, like the family was sitting together in a booth. And it was then that I clocked that she's so polite that either I go all in and just join this family, or it's time to leave. And so I didn't join her family, so you can tell. I decided to leave, but um, she was so nice when it really was a big night for her to talk to this random stranger. So that was a fun encounter.
0: How how far into your career was that at that stage? This so this
1: was two thousand six, so this was well, seven. So I'd pretty much only just left uni.
0: Mm. So so really in your formative years as a journalist.
1: Yeah, I hope, I hope young and student journalists still having that opportunity
0: with the Phil festival because it was it was brilliant. But was it a teachable moment for you at that stage in your career? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, um, do you know
1: what you can the Emma Thompson was probably a very good example of a star who is down to earth and nice and easy to speak to, but the, um, they're all just human beings. And um, as a journalist, it's best, as, as anything in life, really it's best to approach people at the same, just at a conversational level of, Hey, it's really nice to talk to you rather than, Oh my God, I'm your fan. Cause um, you, you give them more by just being conversational and you get more from them by not putting on the spot and, giving them an opening gambit which they can't respond to which oh my god I'm a huge fan of yours is hard to respond to so I think yeah just treating everyone nicely politely and like a friend and look she is famously renowned for being incredibly nice and polite
0: to fans and people going up to her I made a maybe reverse rookie error which I'll share with you is that the first time I interviewed um the lead singer of a band I quite admired I made quite a bit of actually quite a cringy joke to him. And I think I, cause he was American. I made, I made like some joke about American spelling or something and he just didn't get it. And at that moment kind of the rapport was broken and it kind of made things a bit awkward and stiff. So for me, maybe in a reverse situation, but I, I certainly learned from that moment to just be human and don't force something that doesn't work.
1: It's hard to know as well. Cause you don't know what kind of day they've had. It sounds like in that situation, possibly they're having a day of interviews or like a bit of a junket situation. And, like, I think that's not healthy for people to have continuously every 20 minutes or every five minutes, go from a big round table to have a new journalist coming in, a new journalist coming in, and you're starting from the beginning. How did you get started in music? And of course, like, we've got to ask these questions, but for the person being interviewed, it is tough to remain in, like, a good mood. And, you know, that's that's a side of that celebrity job that I don't think is that fun. And it can be difficult for journalists to get, again, like, interesting stuff from them but even using the term getting something from them it's not a nice term
0: no it's transactional isn't it
1: Mm. so I think that's that's a problem like there's probably nothing you could have done in the mood that person was in at that moment in time which is quite painful um it probably was less
0: you because it sounds like you, you were just trying to break the ice I was trying to break the ice and to be fair he took it in good faith but it was just made things a bit rocky to start with but you know like any good interviewer I hope we we recovered and we picked it up and the the interview went out as planned but I've had that happen to be loads as well I've had that- I, I'm not the first and I know I'm not the last <laughs> in her 15 years working in journalism Sachandra has worked in many of the big newsrooms the Guardian the Associated Press the Daily Mirror But three redundancies in eight years made her think about personal and career stability. So she has branched out into media training, podcasting and freelance writing over the years. 2020, yes, the year of the pandemic, was the year Sachandrika pursued a long-held goal to get into comedy. One thing that helped was her multimedia skills, as comedians now, much like many journalists, are a brand that need to be pushed and promoted on social media.
1: Yeah, I just thought, let's just do a job that really relies on people being sitting really close to each other in a room and sharing airspace. Yeah, so um, I did a course at the Bill Murray, which is an incredible comedy venue in Islington. If people haven't heard of it, you can go and see incredible names for like a fiver. It's great. And I just did a show there on Sunday and it's it's just the best room. I absolutely love it. So I did like a six week course and I think I needed permission in a way. And I think a lot of people might say that I had also no idea how the circuit ran and and i think there's an identity issue as well like am i a former journalist or not and i've only just very recently ever said that i've put those words in the blurb for the show i've also put it in my twitter bio former worker in the news minds um which
0: i think is more specific because it says i'm not in a newsroom anymore um which which must be odd for you because i mean if my hopefully my arithmetic here is correct but what was that 15 years working in journalism also? oh like horrifyingly long yeah it's weird isn't it Having done that for 15 years, it must be weird to put the word former in it and be distanced from that job that you've done for so long.
1: I do think I have to draw some boundaries around what kind of work I do in journalism so that people know how to take
0: me because um, I haven't got a separate, say, Twitter account for each side of... But you're still doing journalism these days as as well as your comedy? You're doing both?
1: Yeah, it's much more like freelance kind of. Um, it'll be like a personal essay. It'll be... Um, more copywritingy stuff that's not you, sort of consumer facing but i think if i was working in news that would probably be an issue because you have these ideas of objectivity but even more than that mm. people just wouldn't necessarily know how to take me if i'm putting out a piece of comedy then straightforward news reporting i think i'm not sure those two can work that well like who is this persona who's putting this content out mm that trust situation would be an issue but I think when it's personal essays or featurey stuff um then it's probably not an issue in the same way and to be honest I'm probably writing stuff that promotes my own stuff quite a lot these days which oh god I just like, like
0: such a content machine but um I've got to sell tickets haven't I so yeah, exactly well hold on to the thought about the trust thing because we, we'll circle back to that but coming on to the subject matter of your comedy these days what can you tell us about that
1: <laughs> so um so yeah i'm doing my i'm working on my second Edinburgh show at the moment so i made my debut last year uh Edinburgh 2022 with a show called i miss amy winehouse and i'd say that um it was, it's mainly a show about grief and about kind of um how you remember someone it's, it's a show about storytelling in many ways and um and psychology and i think those are probably going to be my my subjects and this year the show is called Doomscrolling so <laughs> i what? so I called it something else to begin with and and I realized that um because you have to start thinking quite early about these things I realized that title was like a placeholder for me but didn't it didn't say anything to the the audience but Doomscrolling everyone has that reaction everyone's like oh like but they have a, an emotional reaction which if anyone has ever put a piece of news on social media emotional engagement that's what you want from people you want them to remember the name of the show so I think it's about looking at what the news has done to us the speed of the news what it's done to us um, there's also quite a strong climate change thread in there because I there's a bit of blood about how the future is going to be underwater and I think also like working working on I think having been a journalist and worked in those news minds there's this kind of self-help recovery angle to it I think is probably going to be the one, because I've got almost, I call myself like a super doom scroller or like a, an ex-professional doom scroller. Because as you know, like we don't just read it. We have to find stories, write them, think about how they work on social and then put them out, which is a lot. And with social, like following you everywhere you go, you could never stop looking for stories, looking at what everyone else is doing. Like I, I find that a really dangerous element of digital journalism.
0: I suppose the obvious question there is how do you crack jokes about doom scrolling?
1: so I think that um I mean I had to crack jokes about grief I think um the answer probably is that I don't that I think you have to look at the the absurdity of situations and find a kind of sideways way to get in there so a good example at the moment I I don't really have this in the show but the, the lettuce and Liz trust thing that the daily started and um journalism is part entertainment journalism is in competition with every, with Netflix, with, um, with a walk in the park on a sunny day, with podcasts. It's the attention that we need. It's the attention that drives page views and therefore revenue. And how do you get people to stop scrolling? How do you engage them? What is that content? So looking at it with sympathy, I think is really important. I'm looking at it from the audience's point of view. They're most likely to not be journalists, although because I've worked in the industry for so long. My friends are coming along who are journalists, as they do recognise this. But I think it's important to start with the audience first and how they feel. Um, you know, our political situation is pretty crazy, so it's really natural that people are doom scrolling So it's it's looking at the psychology behind it and the kind of absurdity of living in this world. But what I found when I was researching this show, because of course I'm researching, of course I research my jokes, of course I do, uh, that in the 70s, before, well before the social media, there's something called mean world syndrome, and this was the result of people watching too much tv news and obviously journalism it's like the story is always man bites dog not dog bites man and it's positive news doesn't have the same impact it's things that have gone wrong in the world so people were having mean world syndrome back in the 70s so this is something that's always happened in humanity's experience throughout the ages and so
0: i think i try to contextualize it and have sympathy for the people going through it Mm. i suppose if there is a parallel between journalism and comedy it's it's the relevance to the audience you know if, if the story must be close to the newsreader in order for them to necessarily be engaged with it in order to understand it in the same way i suppose with comedy the closer you are to it the more likely you're going to get the joke get the punchline
1: yeah i find i found with Certainly making one-hour shows. There's something of a personal essay to it, and this is kind of my approach. And I think everyone approaches these one-hour shows differently. But I think that um you've got to start with something true because the audience can tell, and then you can go off and do whatever you want. So I've tended to find certainly with the one-hour shows, but I do this in shorter sets as well. Is I quite like, having a present, past, and future. So certainly with my 60-minute shows, I will sit down, divide the page into 20 minutes already, and I'll start with the present, because we're all living in it, then go back into the past, which is probably where I find the psychological context. And then I do a bit about the future, because the future you can say anything about, because nobody knows what's going to happen. And this way I can get surreal and whimsical. Um, I, have a, I have a niece who's nearly five, so I tend to sort of use her as a character without naming her or giving any personal details about her, because she's a child, and, and think about what's the future going to be like for her, Um, if it's going to be underwater so then you have this character going off to the future and it's also a reason for us to care about what that future is so how about to analyze my own style because i've been teaching a bit of comedy recently or like running running a workshop on it and i've realized i that's what i do now is is that related to is i think that's a personal essay structure less of a news story but I think that's what you do with personal essays you have a metaphor usually you start with something that um is recognizable to the audience and then you get go back and give some context on why this is important and why this changed your life maybe and then there's a hopeful future where the audience or the reader is assured that the writer is okay because often they're talking about something traumatic or difficult that derailed their life so I'm saying I'm basically acting out little personal essays all
0: over the place but then how do you make that funny?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you have to try it out on people. And the the breadth of that circle can change. So, like, certainly with my first show, I wrote that in May 2021. So was still in a dicey area in terms of lockdown. So I just did it on Zoom for some good friends. But, but friends who I trusted to not mollycoddle me as well. And they did give me some really useful feedback. But they did also laugh. And so then I thought, right, I'd already bit myself into Brighton, Camden Fringe in August 2021. And so you've just got to try it and you've got to have sold tickets for it as well. So, yeah, it's quite a big undertaking in that sense. You are being very vulnerable and putting yourself out there. Um, There's kind of no better feeling than people laughing and people getting it and then having achieved that standing up and doing it. But I will say that with a one-hour-long show, um, I've been doing three-hour-long Zooms teaching like personal essays and other things plus i've been doing a lot of teaching when i was at the mirror so i think for me at least that i knew that i could stand up in front of people or sit at my laptop and make the teachings sort of interactive and work in that way so you didn't have to worry about stage fright
0: that's maybe one of the perks making the transition yeah no i know i don't have that yeah think of some of the most successful comedians and you will realize they tap into human experiences for subject material Finding a joke funny has a lot to do with how closely the audience can relate to it, especially if it's absurd or self-referential. Michael McIntyre, for example, one of the best-known comedians, has a famous joke about people who go on holidays, leaving the fridges and freezers on, but turning the TVs off at the socket. He jokes that we trust household appliances differently, but of course we know that's not the case. Journalism can employ similar tactics, just for a different outcome. News audiences become hooked when the story is relevant to their lives, this applies to some writing styles more than others, and indeed personal essay writing, as we've heard, is one that really draws upon this. This is true of lots of other media too. Novels, Sajandrika tells me, are just another example of trying to highlight the human condition. Isn't it a great novel that you read and it's kind of,
1: there's an emotional truth to it that you thought only you'd felt, and you're like, oh, other people feel this too. And I, I think that's so powerful and important. And, and you do get it from all these different kinds of media. But sitting in a room and feeling it along with these other people sitting in the dark with you, I think is a really special thing and a, an amazing kind of energy as well. So you kind of have to hope going into everything that it's going to be that good. It won't always be that good.
0: You know what I have to ask, don't you? Mm. Have you ever been heckled?
1: <laughs> not much ma- you know not massively I think um the optics of it are like not great because you don't see a lot of comedians ticking my demographic boxes on stages so um people tend not to but I had an amazing one so my show was called I miss Amy Winehouse um there's a couple sitting in the front row and the man was clearly quite sozzled he started with I've never heard of Amy Winehouse and like <laughs> sorry dude that's on you <laughs> like and his girlfriend who clearly was a Thanks. I got a lot of Amy Winehouse fans in. She was like nudging him, and I was like, "That's that's a you problem." And then later on, I've got this bit about statues, and he kind of I ask a rhetorical question. I can't remember what it is, and he kind of answered it, and I was just like, "If you're gonna keep doing this, you better come up." But, like I never I never go too mean because I think he was drunk and awkward, and I've never had too much. But I think um, if you just reply again with a level of absurdity, because that that those are strange heckles. Um, so, no, I tend to make a friend of the audience and I, I sort of make it very clear to begin with. I'm like, I'm a nice comedian. So do you think people still have that feeling of, will I get picked on? Will I get picked on?
0: Um, and I, I don't want to be like that. But you'd think having a career in journalism beforehand might prepare you for that, give you the thick skin <laughs> necessary to deal with uh, something as, as as meek and timid as a heckle from a, from a crowd. I
1: think, I'm not sure if I have a thick skin, but I think those dynamics of power were very present there in journalism. So I remember that um, when I was sort of travelling around training in other newsrooms, something that was coming up a lot in the kind of late 20-teens was on local newspaper Facebook pages. Um, The way that particularly female reporters could be treated, the things that members of the public might say about them. I remember in one region someone was saying she had the wrong accent and it was from the city what I don't know what that was about people comment on their clothing on their appearance and um naturally like having a female trainer coming around to them they would ask me questions about this and I had to go away and think about what what is behind this and weirdly it's completely not personal even though what they're saying feels personal it's about power and who people who feel powerless believe should have power now generally very very broad brushstrokes the unhappy people would probably be male and very, very generally the people who were in the spotlight and who were getting this kind of verging on abusive comments or undermining comments would be female. So it's reflecting, you know, millennia of sexism in our society. So I think it's, it's actually completely impersonal. It's actually so much more about who has power and who doesn't. And I think what the digital age has done we don't feel so far away from celebrities anymore we don't feel so far away from the people to gaze up in or at um it's almost like tomorrow you could become an influencer yourself so like what's the difference between us so the thing is it's a real power dynamics issue and so if, if you can take it like that and feel that it's not really personal but it's about someone saying well i'm not i'm not accepting your authority then what you have to do is make your authority be felt now for me personally like an iron fist isn't going to work I'm not going to be really harsh or really unkind but I think it's about acknowledging the situation now is this a drunk person is this really angry like who are they what's this energy is it a man it's 99.9% going to be a man if a female heckler is going to be like yes I agree and is, is that heckling um I don't I don't think it is so just acknowledging who they are and what they're doing And then commenting on that situation back to them in a way that kind of says to them, you're you're stopping the
0: fun. So I think it's a case by case scenario, but it's very much about power. One thing I've often wondered is, is heckling off the cuff or is there an amount of preparation you can do to sort of have an arsenal of comebacks ready? I think people do.
1: I don't I don't have it. I've just not had it happen very often. I think if you do, it's a muscle you probably exercise.
0: It must be nice, though, to be able to crack a joke rather than be perhaps the bearer of bad news. And what I'm talking about here is, you know, switching from journalism to comedy. I imagine that, you know, we've spoken about the light parts of journalism and how it's, you know, you've made it clear that there are the demands of the job. It's not all smooth sailing. There are difficulties. But it must be nice to have a refreshing change of pace in your career. I'm just wondering if there was a particular moment that you felt like maybe you did need a change of pace and you did need a break from journalism, really.
1: Oh, yeah, I think this is a long ago as working at Associated Press, like um, the the intensity of working, I'll call it now a wholesaler of news that you sell to other news organisations. It's such a like, so sort if of your general public hasn't heard of that kind of role and doesn't know it's happening, but yeah, I feel like that that was a kind of predictor of what the job would become like at other sort of more consumer-facing media organisations. I mean, it was amazing. It's It taught me so much. I got to try things like voiceover the first time. I got to meet incredible people. It was like a very international workforce and uh, people who'd been embedded in Iraq and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it was very punishing, I think, for me at that age and that time. And it was taking me so far from what I wanted to do, which was more arts, journalism, and and maybe the arts itself. But um, that, that was tough i had three screens at one point there was talk of a fourth screen for everyone but then we had a video ball um yeah i think i i had to recover from that and actually i went into sort of a job with a charity it was very closely aligned to media but yeah i was trying to leave journalism after that mm.
0: how's your mental health been since changing
1: Uh, such a good question isn't it Um, yeah I think I'm best off out of a newsroom personally I don't think they're the right places for me particularly if I'm chained to a desk which a lot of those jobs are obviously um, training was a little bit different and it's it's such a respite I suppose in many ways like go and be a room on my own and, and come up with the training and then for people to come in as well like it was a bit of a novelty and so that feeling, that energy in the room, again, it's it's not the same as a comedy club, but it's very different to being on the desk. But I will say that humor is so important in newsrooms and it plays a very important role, certainly power dynamics, but also in that levity. We've covered several kind of um terror attacks. I remember the Bataclan, the the Paris attacks, and those you're reporting on those for days and I wasn't on the ground reporting or anything, but you know, you're editing stuff for days, you're dealing with social media. Mm-hmm. For all of these people in that situation, that is really tough. And then after you have a week or so of that, I mean, it's really tough, but also the page fees are incredible. So you have that kind of one-two punch of like whenever something bad is happening, it's kind of great for journalism. And the language in the newsroom reflects that, doesn't it? Like someone will come in with a story. i my mean, God, that's great, but it's a terrible story and they don't mean we say, so please, this happened to the people. It's a great story for journalism. Um, But yeah, after like a week or two of that, you've got to have a bit of fun and you've got to have some, some laughter. But also you find that the reading public want lighter stories as well. Um, So it's an intense job. It's a job that you can take home with you very easily in a digital age as well. And I think it was about finding boundaries around that but for me like the training as well took me away from the desk and it made me have to look at journalism from a different angle i think well how do i how do i teach this how do i teach somebody who's worked in newspapers for 30 years not just what social headline is but why it's important and so that was a really interesting challenge
0: let me ask you this can journalism learn anything from the world of comedy in your opinion
1: what you have with live stand-up that you tend to not get as much in journalism it's quite hard to get is it it's harder to stay in a echo chamber or like a bubble when you're a comedian because as you've mentioned with the heckling you're exposed to audiences whenever you do your job you're standing in front of people you generally don't know although I will say only in your career your friends and family will hopefully come and support you but even then they don't know what's coming they don't know how they're going to react and so you're not just talking to other comedians you, often you're not because it's just you're the one on our show so i think within journalism often we were just talking to each other and analyzing the stats on pieces that done well with just other journalists and it's hard to find time to speak to the audience and the readers and see what's what's really going on for them um but you get a bit more of that with comedy obviously again uh, we're living through a cost of living crisis tickets cost money somewhere like Edinburgh is very expensive to go and travel to and stay in so you're not getting everyone and not everyone would want to go but you're kind of you're standing in front of people who don't share your career and at the very least you're getting their responses to you if not hearing from them and I think there's something valuable about that and if I was a journalist I would just if there was a particular subject in the news that I cared about was my beat I'd keep an eye on comedians who were talking about that and seeing the reaction they get on twitter on social media just seeing yeah i think because comedians have to be a brand as well and this is a whole other thing i won't get too much into it that people that they can respond online maybe a bit more they'll get a, they'll get a response whereas a journalist can maybe feel particularly journalists at a publication that that person's behind a wall in a way and they're not gonna hear back from them so i think yeah it's that there's maybe a bit more of a reaction that you can
0: capture and analyze with a comedian. So that's in terms of making themselves accessible to the public as well, you mean? Well, I think think you have to if you stand in front of a
1: room full of strangers for a living. Um, But I think that there's to be a continuity of your persona online as a comedian to build and grow an audience. And as a journalist, you should ideally be doing that. But you don't have to. And if you move publications, you might be seen a bit differently. And if you go freelance, you might be seen a bit differently. But I think I think with a comedian, it's helpful to have part as a job. Yeah, the continuity of your presence across Twitter, TikTok. Um, how you know, how do you do TikTok as a journalist? I think it's very complicated. But as a comedian, surely it's a bit more straightforward. It's your stand-up, or it's doing sketches, or it's just finding, you know, a thing you do. maybe it's um parodying um a food bloggers kind of way of being on tiktok so yeah i think there's something that can continue persona that's maybe more straightforward or
0: more necessary for comedians where can our audience see you performing next
1: yeah so the show's called doom scrolling it's on at vault festival um which is near waterloo so taking place near waterloo um in a bar called the glitch and it's on at 6 45 p.m on the 21st 22nd of february um if you Google Sanchandra, you can find me because it's it's got the original title on it on the website, um, which I've all changed. But yeah, it's it's about what the news is doing now, sped up, and what it's doing to us,
0: and how to how to cope with it. And we'll and we'll leave a link to that in our in our article description. Sanchandra, so thank you ever so much for all of your time today for doing this. It's been a real blast to speak to you. Thanks. Thank you. If there's one takeaway from today, I'd like to go back to what Sachandraka said about the similarity between personal writing and comedy. Here's that recap Be recognisable to the audience, provide context as to why it's important and how it's changed your life, and then provide a hopeful future where the audience is assured that you are fine. In comedy, you might sprinkle some jokes in for good measure, in journalism, maybe provide some data, facts, or compelling interviewees. But what did you take from today? I'd love to keep the conversation going and get your thoughts. Find me on Twitter at Journalism or email me on jacob@journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all of our usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Before I leave you, just something for your diary. Our next newswide conference is coming up. A chance to reconnect with your peers and get the latest industry innovation from expert panels and workshops. That's taking place on the 23rd of May, 2023 at News UK in London. Head over to newsrewide.com to take full advantage of our early bird deal. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.